Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, citizens, to Liberty Tales from the Tower. As your media director, it is my privilege to inform you that the following stories will contain content some listeners will certainly find disturbing. But first, we here at Tower 4 have a few brief but special announcements. The writing for Critical Research Season 2 is nearing completion, and we look forward to recording soon. We have many new and returning voices to record, and we'll be welcoming new voices to our broadcast in the long term. Additionally, the Department of Public Affairs is having an open house at our Tower 4 facilities next week that we are. Would you like to see how to strive towards a career in our division? Come by during shifts 2 to 4 to take tours of our multitude of facilities. Please don't. Facilities open to the public for this event include the audio broadcast stations, the Interactive Media Production Center, and the Gray Theory Art Gallery. And there will even be a presentation by the Division of Community Order. So to learn more about one of our city's key departments and look into a possible future career, stop by Tower 4. Feel free to bring children and students as well. Please don't. The Department of Public Affairs also released several stories last week, including tonight's tale. Infection was written by Emily Amasquita and Caitlin Statz and is read for us by Peter Lewis. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. train announcer stirred me back to reality. The drone of the normal, everyday routine can begin to blend together so easily. 
The announcer stated the stop of my employment, not my residence, so I accepted the harsh reality of it only being the morning. Flowing with the crowd, I wound my way back through the tired-eyed, bored, and normal faces of the first-shift workers. They would go their way, and I'd go mine, and not many people can go my way. Minutes passed, and my loyal feet were set to automatic action, bringing me to the building, floor, and office of my employment. There, the small red dot of my office desk blinked. Typing in the passcode, I sifted through updates and texts as the audio message played. Dr. Ames, we have just prepared subject 85729 for study. Your team will be available any time during shifts 1 and 2 for the sample extraction procedure. The preliminary files have been forwarded to your terminal. Please select an appropriate time for the procedure and submit it so that your team may prepare accordingly. It ended abruptly. No thank you or re-endures. I found the appropriate accompanying message on the terminal. Time slots of available, viable lab times were listed before me. I had already completed the preparatory work earlier in the week regarding this case and would only require an hour or so to reread what was needed, so I chose the earliest time slot, just four hours from the time I had heard the message. With a tap of my finger and a victorious beep, the terminal sent out the information to my team. Actually conducting research was honestly more exciting than flipping through placement applications all day. Sorting through files at the terminal, I opened the appropriate target. One of many files in the domain of my studies, subatrian biology and pathology. In my younger years, I had been so excited, so enthused to study the biology of fringers, those from beyond our wall. Now, years later, the novelty had worn off, and not just due to the fact that I'm not permitted to speak of my work. Tapping open the file, my mind split in two, one half taking in the information, the other half daydreaming about the nice waitress at the Sunset Cafe, who always left me extra sweet packets with my drinks. The file, a meal break, and several placement application reviews later, the time had come to physically prepare for the sample extraction procedure. The elevator took me down to the appropriate basement level where my lab uniform waited in the unmarked and squeaky locker. Sliding the coat on, I stepped through to the next room, taking this opportunity to scrub my hands and pull a fresh set of goggles and masks to my face. Two of my assistant team were already in the procedure room with two RAD officers. My datapad update confirmed the visuals. The subject had already been sedated and the procedure could begin shortly. My specific specialty is fringer biological abnormalities and pathologies. It is my work that is used as reference for those broadcasts and released descriptions of fringers that the public knows so well. All of that information without my name attached, of course. The information deemed fit for public release falls within the domain of the Department of Public Affairs and the protective gaze of the Archon. Having seen many fringers on my operating table, I am glad to have the Archon watching over me, watching over Atreus. 
Before me now slept another such detestable subject, and with my team awaiting, I flung the door open and approached. Subject 85729 is sedated and restrained, Dr. Ames. It was the small, squeaky voice of the new assistant, lacking any confidence or bravado. I nodded to him and to the more seasoned assisting nurse. Thank you. Prepare the first needle. I was curt, but I still had things to do. I took up my data pad and began my visual inspection of exterior abnormalities. Subject 85729 exhibits several external physiological abnormalities. Ink has been injected into the skin on both the left buccal and upper abdominal areas. These will be photographed following the skin's removal and cross-referenced with other subdermal inkings from previous subjects. The subject is missing its left thumb and the large toe of the left foot. While scarring from physical injury is common across the body, a particularly distinct pattern of scars is present on the cranial frontal region and stretches down the nasal bridge. This will also be cross-referenced. The left leg below the knee shows significant bloating with predominant veins and arteries. The anterior tibial and posterior tibial veins are distinctly prominent and almost black in color. I will draw additional blood from this area following procedural blood withdrawal. The upper torso and chest are dotted with large pustules varying in size from approximately 2 to 7 centimeters. And the area surrounding these pustules presents with a deep red rash and same vein discoloration as in the bloated leg. These are all the present external physical abnormalities. With the preliminary external record taken, it was time to take samples. Looking at the assistant in confirmation, he handed me the prepared needle. I moved toward the rhythmically breathing subject. Swabbing the area of the inner arm, the muscles twitched and I pulled back. Years into this work and I could still be a bit jumpy. Re-establishing my composure, I took up the needle with confidence, inserting it into the median cubital vein with ease. The vacuum tube began to fill, blood rushing in. The arm of the fringer burst upwards, snapping the restraints like cheap adhesive. The assistants stumbled and the officers sprung to action, but not before the deed was done. Wrenching the needle free of his arm, he had lashed out with it, swinging wildly. For a mere moment, the needle punctured my arm, the sting of it shocking me to reality. Get it! I screamed. Lash it down! The officers had reached him now, one knocking the needle from his flailing arm. As the blood from the vacuum tube splattered across the ground, the assistants recoiled yet again. It was a biohazard. As the officers held him and lashed him down with additional restraints, I bellowed at the assistants, Clean that up. I backed toward the door. Sedate it. Lock it up. We'll reschedule. I wondered if they had seen... Cursing the fools internally, I raced out of the door, out of the basement levels, and to my lone office. How did this happen? 
Taking off my lab coat, I saw the minuscule point on my forearm. A needle puncture stared up at me from my arm, and I stared back. The alarms went off in my head. Biohazard. Contamination. Category A. I knew the protocol. I was usually on the other side. My only choice was to ignore it. The alternative was... unacceptable. No one knew, and no one had to know. I washed my arm in the bathroom sink, cracking open the first aid kit. As my arm was fully soaked, a knock came to my office door. Flustered, this all seemed like some horrible cosmic joke. Floris Monroe, an efficient fellow researcher, was a kind but at times over-involved woman. Dr. Ames? It's Floris. I heard about the security breach. Are you okay? Your assistant said you stormed off. Drying my arm, I opened the door to see her. Fine. I... I'm fine. I was visibly distraught and knew it. I refuse to work in that lab until those restraints have been replaced and the sedation assistant reevaluated. I cursed, my situation sending me into a downward spiral. We work with monsters, but everything is too lackadaisical. What if something had happened? She stared at me, perplexed, unsure of how to react to my rather unprofessional rant. Given the circumstances, I'm sure Dr. Hayes would understand if the subject study was postponed a few days. Perhaps take some time to write up the incident report and then go home for the day. She attempted to be helpful. Incident report? Yes, that... that sounds like an excellent idea. Thank you, and may the Archon watch over you. May the Archon watch over you too. I nodded and shut the door. Within minutes, I had hastily typed the incident report, my torrent of anger in its words, but with no mention of my wound. Once it was sent, I left for my apartment. Broadcasts, a nice meal, I tried anything to get my mind off my wound. The slow, dull ache in my arm was a consistent, pestering reminder. I had taken medication, but I didn't know what I had been exposed to. To find out, I would need to finish my study of the subject, but to get medication, I would need to report the incident. And I knew what happened to those infected. I took a long, hot shower. The steaming water relaxed my mind, and the dull pain in my arm seemed to fade, but only slightly. As the haze of the shower cleared, and I stood before my mirror, I let my gaze fall in horror to the mark on my arm. Dull, pulsing pain returned to me as I stared down. In an unclear radius, the minuscule puncture had expanded into a splotch of purpling flesh and blackening veins. My breathing grew rapid, and I felt myself beginning to panic. What? Nothing... nothing should progress so quickly. Pacing my bathroom, I thought logically about my predicament. I had access to the subject who had infected me, 
and could, therefore, find out what ailed me and find a way to fix it. I thought diligently on how I could create a fix for my problem without informing others of my contamination. The building was well known to be heavily guarded, those not on shift being turned away from even retrieving forgotten data pads during unauthorized times. So, I set my sights on finding my solution tomorrow. Downing some medication, I retreated to my bed, the exhaustion of the day washing over me. Upon waking, the world was different. It moved more slowly, felt hot and ached to move in. Struggling to the bathroom, I gazed blurrily into the mirror once more, only to regret my actions. My flesh seemed almost ghostly, a grim shade of sickly white that appeared slightly translucent. Beneath my skin, I could see the outlines of my veins growing ever darker as the inky blackness overtook them in my sleep. The purpling skin on my arm now encompassed half of the limb, and the area nearest the prick was a bright, vibrant red. The weakness in my limbs tried to control my actions, beckoning me to sit and rest, but I knew that my only savior was the subject. I had to reach the lab. In minutes of slow, arduous work, I had dressed, taking care to cover my skin, and wore a privacy hood to obscure my ghastly visage. Unable to stomach meal, I left for the train. With faltering feet, I reached it and thanked the Archon for open seats. When I finally stumbled through the doors of the building, I was feeling lightheaded. I pushed through, trying to ignore the signs of fatigue my body was sending me. Turning a corner, I ran into Dr. Hayes. Dr. Ames? Dr. Sabina Hayes was not only the lead of the division, but an actual polite and attentive boss. Acacius, you don't look well. I had never come to work ill before, and with Dr. Hayes' observant nature, she would certainly have recognized this. She looked confused and particularly curious. You look rather unusual. She brought herself back to the present, seeming lost in thought. Regardless, you should speak with your assistants. Your subject from yesterday was deemed unviable for study following its recent outbursts. All attempts to utilize standard sedation procedures failed and the subject expired. Now you know as well as I that with the recent no-man zone incursion, we have quite the pileup of subjects. So please get to work regarding the next straight away. The department is she not happy... She was speaking, but my mind was gone. Without the subject... I didn't have access to the samples I would need. Even with my sickly disposition, I appeared distraught. Acacius, are you listening? Are you okay? You look upset. Dr. Hayes stared me down, but soon a beep was audible from her privacy hood. Excuse me, there's much to do. Take care of yourself, Dr. Ames. And with a step around the corner, she was off into the maze of the building. I took the elevator to my office's floor and darted through my door. The panic set in again, but in my distress I resorted to simple logic. I needed to document my illness's progression, determine if it matched any previously documented and studied pathologies. If so, 
a way to combat the illness may already exist. So, I began my log, setting my datapad to encrypt my voice recordings. Hour 9. 30 hours after incident. The puncture wound is located on the ventral side of my left forearm. As of this time, the area directly around the affected area, in a diameter of about 10 centimeters, is now a vibrant red, sore to the touch and swelling. The whole left arm is now presenting with purple discoloration. Flesh across the body not affected by these direct discolorations is paling, and prominent veins are appearing to discolor black. Hour 10, 31 hours after incident. The purpling discoloration of the left arm has spread a centimeter up into the shoulder. The arm feels sore, more so around the red puncture point circle. While nauseous, I am beginning to feel hungry. To stave off the lightheadedness and feeling of muscle fatigue, I have been resting on the sofa in the office. Hour 11, 32 hours after incident. I am feeling weaker in my limbs. I skipped breakfast in my rush to the office this morning, so I'm going to take my lunch early. The black veins in my arm are growing more prominent. Hour 12, 33 hours after incident. I ate my meal. I also ate another meal, one that I keep in my desk for days when I forget to bring lunch. But I'm still so hungry. My arm has begun to swell above the elbow. Hour 13. 34 hours after incident. On bathroom floor. Threw up all the meal. So hungry. Need to go home. Hour 15. 36 hours after incident. Yes. I, I got home. I took pills from work. They dulled the pain enough to, to get home. I, I'm so hungry and so itchy. My skin, it, it all itches. And my arm, the, the affected arm, burns. Oh, God, it burns. Hour 16. 37 hours after. I've been scratching my leg. The itching doesn't stop. I can't look anymore. I can't tell anyone. They'll kill me, I know it. I'm it now. I'm the thing. I'm contaminant. Oh, oh, so itchy. My veins in my leg, my arm, 
black and wriggling. That monster gave me something. The veins are traveling through my body, moving, detached. Are they even veins? Hour 17. 38 hours after. Haven't stopped itching. Haven't stopped. Won't stop. Took off my clothes. They, they got in the way of the scratching. So hungry. Ate a tofu meal. Threw it up. Ate a pork meal. Threw it up. The purple is abnormal on chest and back now. Legs, neck, everywhere in patches. Hot. Fever is high. Numbers too blurry to read. Everything is crawling. My veins wriggle beneath my scratches. Wriggle. My muscles twitch and move. My body feels... not like my body. Slithering. Slithering beneath my skin. If I scratch, maybe I can get to it. Hour 18. 30-something hours. I saw it, saw it move, not just feel, saw it is wriggling and twisting within me. The subject must have given me something, a, a, a parasite, using my veins as paths through me. When it moves, Argon, it gets so cold. Everything hot, but where it's been. So itchy where it is. Hour 19. Long after. Scratch. <laughs> Scratch hot skin. Chasing around the wriggly thing. Cooling squirm. So hungry. My fingers are red. My body is red. Warm and soft, squishy. Bits of me are in my hands now, making it red. So hungry. Bits of skin. Out skin. I can see the veins. Maybe catch a squirmer. Bits of skin. So hungry. Meal makes me nauseous. Meal makes me nauseous. 
hours. Hours. All red. Ah. <laughs> Less hungry. I know. I know what the squirmer wants. A bit of itchy leg. A bit of itchy arm. Savory. So savory. So warm. The squirmer is everywhere. Still hungry. More to scratch. The recording ended there. The data pad left alone and blinking on the reddened floor of the bathroom. An outsider to my own body, I watched as it consumed pieces of flesh stripped from scratching from my legs, torso, and arms. The twitching muscles, which had before seemed so subtle, now controlled my actions completely. A glance at the mirror resigned my trapped mind to horror. I was unsure of how long I had actually been home, ripping myself apart. The skin I had noted as being pale as canvas was now a splatter of purple and red, gashes in the canvas missing and oozing. The eyes looking back at me in the mirror were not my own. The sclera was murky red and the once blue iris turned black and it wriggled. That uncontrolled glimpse informed me of my loss. I let go. It consumed and scratched and I let it. I had trapped myself within my body as a prisoner of the contamination. But my body jumped as the door to my apartment swung open, great behemoths of dark shadow crashing in and restraining my thrashing, feral body. Hope returned to my mind, all that was left of me. I would be saved, cured. By the science of Atreus, I knew to be brilliant and true. My body thrashing, my mind was exhausted. In the grasp of the biohazard suits, I let myself slip away to rest, my mind unable to continue the gruesome struggle. I awoke in a lab, my eyes shut before my mind. I still recognized the smell, though, of sterile equipment, plastics, metal cleaner, and my assistant's perfume. I was in my lab. I tried, but I could not move my body. I had no control over it anymore, but I certainly felt its senses. The body felt numb, which was a relief to the overall dull pain I felt across the limbs and torso. A bit hazy, I was glad to be on some sort of pain reducer. In the distance, I could hear the voice of Flores, though I could not make out her words. A wave of relief befell me. They would help me. The familiar door opened 
and Floris's words became distinguishable. Dr. Hayes, subject 85731 is prepared for the sample extraction procedure. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Podcast. Episode 8, Infection, was written by Emily Amasquita and Caitlin Statz, and read by Peter Lewis. With accompanying voices by Lonnie Manella, Caitlin Statz, Max Lando, and Travis Vengroff. The music and sounds were designed by Careless Juja, and the introduction theme was performed by Brandon Strader. If you would like more information about the world of Atreus, please check out libertyendures.com. You can also ask questions at our subreddit, Liberty Endures. To support the Liberty Podcast, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash libertypodcast. Liberty is a Fool and Scholar production, and this episode is trademarked by John Dossinger Publishing 2016. Thank you for listening, and may the Archon watch over you. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.